Let us pray. Lord, that is our request today, that you will truly create in us a clean heart. We know this is not a work we can do unto ourselves, but it is a work that can only be done through you, Jesus. So we pray for that, that you will be in each one of our hearts and each one of our minds, and that they will be fully yours. But Lord, we don't just desire that for us. I pray that you'll put in each of our hearts a desire that, that everyone may have you in their heart and in their mind. And that many will come to know you fully and to understand who you truly are and the love that you have for them. Lord, may this be our overwhelming passion to share your love with others. In your name we pray. Amen. In Matthew chapter 28. In verse 19, this, this pulpit's flat, and uh, it's because of Mark last week. You know, Mark, Mark thinks he preaches one time, and he gets to change my, my whole setup. Here. Man. Oh, look at you. <laughs> what a servant heart. <laughs> While he's here, let's just affirm him on his sermon last week. Amen? He told me that by the time his sermon was over, so he must have had a big impact, this the difference between the opening hymn and the closing hymn was so amazing that it made him cry. So, so that's, and, and it was because it was good, not because you made him cry because it was so bad, because it was good. Do it again. So, so yeah, so closing, closing hymn today, folks, strong. So anyways, love you, brother. Thank you. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, but but I believe that before we can go to all, we must be willing to go to one. All doesn't just become all automatically. We must start with one. Turn with me to the book of John, what, what one of our elders, Barbara, just read. Book of John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. As she said, it's page 1206, 1206 in the Pew Bibles. If you have a tablet or an iPhone, anything will work. But John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is speaking of John the Baptist, not John the author of this book. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. These five verses share with us, the, in a very brief and, and, and concise way, share with us the very first, the very first known converts of Jesus' public ministry. These are the, the first converts to Jesus' public ministry. John the Baptist made one statement, Behold the Lamb of God, and, and it was enough to convict these two individuals, to convict these two hearts, to, to step out in faith and follow Jesus. I think that says something about Jesus, yes, but it also says a great deal about John the Baptist. He's not the focus of my sermon, but I think that's something for us to pay attention to, that John the Baptist 
had, had such authority with what he said, and, and he was so trustworthy and had such integrity that, that those who followed him, when he spoke in this manner, they trusted what he said and, and stepped out in faith. I, I would hope that all of us as Christians, when we speak of Jesus, when we speak of the things of God, that, that, that people would, would, would be convicted even by, because they know how we lived our lives and by the things that we said. But John is not our focus today, uh, specifically this morning. I want us to look at what took place after these two men became converts of Jesus. The example that going to all begins with a willingness to go to just one. Before you can go to all, there needs to be a willingness to go to just one. Verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus proposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom, all, whom in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, before he called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Y'all, here we see the very first evangelist produced amongst the disciples of Jesus, produced by the ministry of Jesus. The very first converts also become the very first evangelists. I, didn't, I don't know if you're aware of this, but if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have accepted Jesus Christ, if you are a convert of Jesus Christ, then your next step is to become an evangelist for Jesus Christ. We see that modeled here by Andrew and by Philip. They're called by Jesus. They follow Jesus. They step out in faith and follow him. And then the very next thing that we see them doing is becoming evangelists for Jesus. And we see the very first form of evangelism that these new evangelists, these disciples of Jesus are doing, the very first form of evangelism was personal evangelism. Not public evangelism personal evangelism. Long before Peter got up and preached before a large crowd, long before Peter got up and preached before a large crowd and, and 3,000 were converted in a single day, Peter was reached by one person stepping out in faith to invite him to come and follow Jesus. The most successful public evangelism is always preceded the most successful public evangelism is always preceded by personal one-on-one -on -one evangelism. Not everyone can be a successful public evangelist. You know, the fact of the matter is, is there are 
Not everyone has the gift to stand in front of people and, and to communicate in some way. Not everyone is a great orator. Not everyone is a, is a Mark Finley or, or, or a Dwight Nelson. Not everyone has those blessings. But everyone can be a successful personal evangelist. I believe that every single person that is a follower of Christ has the ability to successfully reach someone with the love of Jesus in their world. I'm going to share with you all today five lessons from this story, just five quick lessons from this story for becoming a successful evangelist. Then I will be done, and I'll meet you at the back doors to shake your hand and hug you because I've missed you all so much. But, um, but five quick lessons before, before then. If you have a pen and paper, I'd encourage you to write these down, or you can write them in the margins of your Bibles as well if you have room. Lesson number one for becoming a successful personal evangelist. Now, lesson number one, you must be willing to go to one that may not yet know Jesus or fully understand who Jesus is. You must be willing. The, the, the very first lesson, the first part of this number one lesson is that you must be willing. I can't tell you how many people I know that, that, have, that have communicated to me that, that they are not able to reach someone or they are not able to, to, to win someone to Jesus and the only reason they believe this is because they've never actually tried. They've never actually tried to do it. They say, oh, I can't do that. I can't do it. I can't. Well, have you ever tried? No. You know what I tell my kids who, who do that, when my kids say that? What do you tell your kids? If they say, I can't do it, what do you say? Have you tried? Try. Anyone ever said that to your kids? None of you ever told your kids to try? This must be what's wrong with society, with a... We tell them to try. It's the same way. We want them to try. I remember talking to my dad back in the day and, and uh, when he was just growing early in his growing stages with Christ and, and as we were discussing something, he was feeling the need to, to witness and he said, I want to I do something for Jesus. And I said, well, dad, I have some Bible studies. I'll give you one of those studies and you can go do it. Oh, I, Chad, I can't do a Bible study. You know, I need to go to some classes first. I need to do this. I, you know, I don't, I don't have the intelligence to do a Bible study. I said, dad, you have a degree in history, you have a degree in education, you have a master's degree, you have a physical therapy degree, you have a doctorate. I think you can handle following a layout I give you to lead someone through a Bible study. You know what? And he did, and he ended up, that person ended up getting baptized, and he ended up leading them to Jesus. But, but we need to just be willing to try. First lesson is that we need to be willing to go to that one. But when we go to that one, not only do we need to be willing to go to that one, but we need to be willing to go to that one with an optimistic viewpoint. I think too many of us have a, have a, a negative viewpoint on, on society and the people within society. When we see someone that, that may not know Jesus or may not fully understand Jesus, we need to see in that person the potential of a brother or a sister in Christ. We, we should never think of that person as, you know, they're, they're beyond reach or, or they're hopeless. I think too often we see people in that way or they just don't seem interested, so, 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 so I'm not even gonna try. I remember my friend Greg telling me that when, when God first convicted his heart to talk to me about Jesus, he began to argue with God and he said, Chad's not interested. He was making the decision for me. He was convinced that there was no way that I would be interested in Jesus, praise the Lord, God won that, that argument so I could be here with you today. 
When I, I recently was at my alma mater, Spring Valley Academy, and I had the privilege of speaking at the alumni uh, services. And after I was uh, done with my, with my talk and I sat down on the front row, my former physics teacher, uh, Dan Schoen, reached over and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Chad, you're a good example of why we should never consider any student hopeless. <laughs> Wasn't quite sure how to take that. God convinced Greg to not see me as hopeless, and Greg invited me to come and see, to come and meet Jesus. Greg became a successful evangelist, at least with me, not because he knew everything and not because he was the greatest order or had the greatest skill, but because he was simply willing, he was simply willing, and he had hope in me that, that I would say yes to this. Lesson number one, being a successful personal evangelist, you must be willing to go to at least one. Really, that's not that hard. And when you go, have an optimistic view. Lesson number two, go to someone that you already know. Listen to the story here in, in verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Verses 44 and 45. Now Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. And Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now some of us have no problem. Some of us have no problem talking to strangers or, or weaving Jesus uh, into our, our conversations with strangers. But, but most people aren't built that way. Some of you all are, like Juliana is, and, and, and probably my, I, I myself am built, built that way. But most people aren't built in that way to, to just talk to anybody and, and bring up Jesus with anybody and everybody. But I believe that's okay because I believe the most successful personal evangelism is one person reaching the heart of somebody they already know. Someone they already know who, who, who does not yet know Jesus or who does not yet fully understand who Jesus is. You see, the, the, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the, and the Holy Spirit, they are a relational group. They are a model of relationship. One for all and all for one. You thought that originated with the three musketeers, but actually that's the Trinity's motto as well. All for one and one for all. They made us to be relational like they are relational. Jesus loves to hear about our lives. He loves to spend time with us. He loves to commune with us. One of the purposes of this day, this Sabbath day, is to remind us of how much he desires to be in relationship with us. He sent us the Holy Spirit. And what did he call the Holy Spirit? He called the Holy Spirit the Comforter. He called the Holy Spirit the Comforter. You don't get that name unless you are a relational being. Folks, in order for there to be comfort, there has to be a relationship. There is no one in this world that comforts me that I don't have a relationship with. No one. I don't watch the news and say, man, that person really is a trustworthy person. I just feel so comforted by them. I don't, I don't, I don't go to the baseball game and go, that guy seems like a nice guy, good guy. I'm comforted. By, by him. No, we, we don't, 
I'm comforted only by those I am in relationship with. So, so wouldn't it then make sense that the God who is a God, a relational God, uh, who, who builds relationships, wouldn't it make sense that the best way to introduce people to Jesus would be through a relationship? There was a quote that uh, uh, Robert Schwint, Dr. Robert Schwint gave to me just after my first sermon, and I wanted to read this to you. Everyone comes to Jesus on the arm of a friend. I love that quote. That's a great quote. Everyone comes to Jesus on the arm of a friend. Philip and Andrew, they went to people that they already knew, people that they already had a relationship with. Again, Greg Taylor, former uh, chaplain at Spencerville Academy, was the largest singular, uh, the, one, of the, one who had the largest singular impact on me uh, connecting with Jesus and falling in love with Jesus. And when he first tried to talk to me about Jesus, I threatened him to never talk about this again. The next time he tried to talk to me about Jesus, in fact, he, he put his arm around me and tried to pray for me once, and I began to laugh at him. The next time he tried to talk to me about Jesus, I mocked him. Now, this may not make you very excited to go and talk to somebody about Jesus, but, but you know, it turned out well. Um, time and time and time again, he came and approached me, but I always let him, and why did I do that? because there was already a relationship established. If, if I had not had that relationship established and someone had tried to talk to me about Jesus in, in the same way he had, they would have been out the door and I would have never spoken to them again. But he was one of my four best friends and so he had a right to talk to me in that manner. Go to someone that you already know. If you don't have a relationship with someone, here's, here's a sad fact, folk. Uh, if you don't have a relationship with someone that doesn't know Jesus or, or is far from Jesus at this time, then I want to encourage you to go and make that relationship. Studies have shown, actually, that, that people that become Seventh-day Adventists, within four years, they have no significant relationships outside of the Adventist church. That's not a very good witnessing tool for personal evangelism. So if you don't have any friends, then go make some. If you don't have any friends that don't know Jesus, then go make some and then become the personal evangelist for them. Lesson number one, you must be willing to go and when you go, have an optimistic view. Lesson number two, go to someone that you already know, that you already have relationship with. Lesson number three to becoming a successful personal evangelist from this story, go to someone near you. Yes, near you relationally, but also near you geographically, near you geographically. The recording of these stories gives indication that neither Andrew nor Philip had to go very far in order to reach Simon or Nathaniel. We don't, we don't, it does, the, the Bible seems to give an indication they didn't travel this long journey to go reach this random friend far away. No, they went to someone nearby whom they knew and they gathered them. Years ago in Visalia, I asked my, my congregation there, I asked the members there of our congregation, to, to be personal evangelists as well, witnesses for Jesus. And I gave them these little business cards. And, and I said, on the back of that business card, I want you to write three names. And I gave them two apiece. And you write the three names, and you keep one of those business cards, and you give one back to me so that I can pray for those names of the people that you're going to be uh, trying to reach. And I got these cards back, and I began to go through their names. And I saw my son Robert or my daughter Carol or, or whomever it was, these different people, and as I got to know these, these families and as I got to know these people, I started to realize that this son Robert lived way up in Anchorage, Alaska, and, and daughter Carol lived over in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And, and we need to be praying for these people that live 
far from us. But I believe in order to be a truly successful personal evangelist, we need to have uh, geographical proximity to them. We need to have a physical connection to them. Now, I'm not saying that we don't pray. We don't want these people to be saved that live far away from us, and we don't pray for them. We continue to pray for them. If Jesus came to me and said, Chad, you know what? You're going to die, and you can reach two more people in your lifetime. Without hesitation, I would say my Uncle Donnie, and I would say my friend Aaron. I've spent nights falling asleep crying over these two individuals. Without, without hesitation, those would be the names that would come into my mind. But my Uncle Donnie lives in California. My friend Aaron lives in Ohio. And so you know what I do when I fall asleep at night praying for them? I pray, I pray, I pray. God, send someone to reach them. Send someone into their life to reach them. Yes, when I talk to them, I, I encourage them. Yes, I can say an encouraging word or a witness when I'm around them. But on a day in and day out, they need another personal evangelist. Well, guess what, folks? There are mothers and fathers. There are nephews and nieces. There are grandmothers and grandfathers and sisters and brothers praying that God will send a personal evangelist to someone in their family right here in our community, and that could be you. There are people praying for that. You could be the personal evangelist to these people. Yes, you love your family member in Hawaii, but pray that God will send someone to them. And then be open to God sending you to someone's son or daughter here locally. Lesson number one, you must be willing to go and you, must be op and you should be optimistic about going. Lesson number two, go to someone you already know. Lesson number three, Lesson number three, go to someone who is, who is local in geographical proximity to you. Lesson number four, speak with confidence. Listen to what Andrew said when he went to his brother. We have found the Messiah. And then Philip, when he went to Nathaniel, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Do those sound like statements that, that lack confidence? They didn't go and say, there's this guy we met. He may, he may not be the Messiah. You know, uh, he may or may not be the one that the prophets and the, and the law spoke about. No, they said with assurance and with confidence, we have found the Messiah. We have found the one whom Moses and the law and the prophets all wrote about, all spoke of. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Folk, People who speak with surety and people who speak with confidence have great influence. It's why a lot of people follow a lot of dumb ideas because a lot of people out there know how to, to speak with confidence. But we're not talking about a dumb idea. We're talking about the king of the universe. Whenever we talk about Jesus and who Jesus is to us and what Jesus has meant in our life, we should always speak with absolute confidence and boldness in what we know of him. I've shared with you all my great appreciation for Apple products and how I was buying Christina something and ended up buying something for my, a computer for myself because of their great customer service. Well, we had the computers, but when, we, but when the iPhone came out, Christina came to me and she said, you know, I really wanna get an iPhone. I said, no, no, we're not gonna get an iPhone. You don't need an iPhone. We already have our phones. You know, we have our contract. We're not gonna go spend the money to get an iPhone. She said, you know, I really like an iPhone. I said, no, we don't need to spend the money. When your contract's up, we can get an iPhone. 
And she said, well, when's my contract up? I said, well, maybe a year or something. I don't know. I didn't know exactly what it was. I said a year. And I said it with confidence, too. Christina's learned to see through my confidence. Because I say, like, it's a year. She goes, do you know that for sure? Or are you just guessing right now to say that? <laughs> but I said, oh, it's a year. So down the road. Well, a few weeks later, we were at my grandma's house and watching football, and my brother-in-law, who also happens to be named Chad, and who is a doctor, was there with me, and while we were watching football, he was showing me his new iPhone. And he was showing me this iPhone, and he was telling me all these things that you could do on this phone. And, and mainly what he was showing me were, were all these medical apps that, that had been created, things about, like, which drugs to use for what and, and, the, and the, the right mixes of drugs and which, which it seems like a doctor should already know these things, which kind of worries me a little bit. I shouldn't need that application on the phone. But he was showing me all these things, basically really things that I didn't understand at all. But after listening to him, and he was, he was just so confident about this phone and thought it was the greatest thing in the world, and he was just showing me all these things and just on and on and on about this wonderful iPhone. And while I was driving home, I was thinking to myself, you know, Christina does anesthesia, and we don't want her to kill anybody, and so, and so maybe this will be a good phone for her. She's not going to kill anybody anyways, folks. John Sackett, she works at your hospital. She's not going to hurt anybody. Um, but, but so within just days, I found myself in an AT&T store buying Christina this iPhone. You know, I had more personal willpower. I waited like three months for myself to buy it. But, uh, but I bought her that iPhone. Why? Because my brother-in-law spoke with such confidence about it and the benefits of it and, and how wonderful it was that I thought, this will be a good device for Christina. We should go and get her one. Folks, when we speak with confidence, people are more likely to listen. I just heard a story recently about Lord Chesterton um, and George Whitfield. Um, you've heard of George Whitfield, the great preacher of, of yesteryear, uh, uh, a peer of, of John Wesley, spoke outdoors with no amplification to tens of thousands of people. He was over in England preaching, and, and Lord Chesterton would go and hear him preach. And if you know anything of Lord Chesterton, you know that he was no saint by any stretch of the imagination. And one of Lord Chesterton's friends came to, to him and said, uh, you know, why do you go and hear Whitfield preach? You don't believe anything that he says. And he says, no, but he does. He went. Because people that speak with confidence, people want to go hear what they have to say. They want to go hear what they have to say. Folks, when we speak about the king of the universe and what he's done in our life, we should speak with the greatest confidence there is. Lesson number one, we must be willing to go and we should go with optimism. Lesson number two, go to someone you already know. Lesson number three, go to someone who is in close proximity to you geographically, so it's easy for, easier for you to witness to them on a consistent basis. Lesson number four, when you go, speak with confidence about Jesus and what he has done for you. And lesson number five from the story, you don't have to have all the answers. Simply bring them to Jesus and trust him. Verses 45 and 46, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Let me pause here. 
Too many of us, if Nathaniel posed that question to us, would try to prove to Nathaniel the three or four reasons why something good could come out of Nazareth. We would. We, we, would, we would get into a debate. You know, one of the, one of the great blessings of Adventism is, is, is our understanding of Scripture. And one of the great curses of Adventism is our understanding of Scripture. Do you hear what I'm saying? That we, that we try sometimes to, to, if someone says, well, how does this make any sense? We try to, to prove all the points of why it does before we actually have brought them to Jesus. We, we, we're, we're satisfied if we've made the point, if we made the point and yet never led them to Jesus. I have a number of people, unfortunately, in my life that I can look back at. I have a realtor that said to me once, oh, I think you guys are absolutely right. Saturday is the Sabbath. That's right. I'm glad that I proved you that point. She's not going to church on Sabbath. She's not hanging out with any of us Adventists on a consistent basis. I have an ex-girlfriend. She has books on the Sabbath. She said, yes, you're right. Saturday is the Sabbath. I was like, thank you. I'm glad you agree with my point. She has nothing to do with any of us at all. You know, we, we proved our points. We try to argue. Nathaniel says, what good could come out of Nazareth? And I could see some of us going, well, let me explain to you what good could come out of Nazareth and all the prophecies. I love what Philip does. Philip says, come and see. Come and find out for yourself. We don't have to have the answers. We don't always have to prove things. And sometimes, folks, we prove something before someone knows Jesus, and it does them no good. It does them no good. We need to bring them to Jesus and introduce them to Jesus. Bring them to a place they can learn more of Jesus. And then trust Jesus to answer their questions, deal with their doubts, alleviate their concerns. Also, if we may not even know the answer, we may not even know the answer, and guess what? It's okay to say to someone, you know what, I don't know, but I can find out for you. Or it's okay to say so, to someone, I don't know, but I can introduce you to someone that probably could explain this to you. Or it's all right to say to somebody, well, why don't you come and learn for yourself, even if you do know. It's okay to do these things. Bring them to the place they can learn more of Jesus. Five lessons, five very simple lessons on how to become a successful personal evangelist. First one, most important, be willing to go to one person who doesn't know Jesus or maybe doesn't have a, a, a right understanding of who Jesus is. Number two, go to someone you already know. Go to someone you already know, someone you're already in relationship with. Number three, go to someone local so that you can be regularly engaged in their life. Number four, Number four, when you go, speak with confidence about the one you're representing, Jesus Christ. And number five, number five, you don't always have to have all the answers. And even if you do, you don't have to always give them right in the first showing. But simply bring them to Jesus and trust him to deal with their doubts, their concerns, and their questions. Five lessons for successful personal evangelism. The most successful public evangelism is a direct result of successful personal evangelism. This church needs personal evangelists. We're moving into a season, this fall season, we're going to be doing several things related to public evangelism. 
That public evangelism, I can tell you, we can send out mailers and flyers and all kinds of things, but its greatest success will come from the members who have decided to be personal evangelists for Jesus, who have decided that they are willing to go to one and invest in one for Jesus. I want to invite you to pull out your connection cards at this time, these little cards, and turn them over to the back there. My response to today's sermon my response to today's sermon. The first question was, was the sermon, uh, I should say the sermon was clear. It says, was the sermon was clear. Sorry, the question's not clear. I apologize for that. The sermon was clear, question mark. If it was clear, if you understand those, those five lessons, be willing to go and go with optimism. Go to someone you know. Go to someone local. Speak with confidence and you don't have to have all the answers or you don't have to give all the answers right in that moment, but bring them to Jesus and allow Jesus to deal with their doubts and their concerns and their frustrations. If, if that was clear, go ahead and check that box. I desire to be a personal evangelist. Hopefully everybody in here will check that box. And the reason I say that is because when we are converted to, 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 to the Christian faith, when we fall in love with Jesus, we should be personal evangelists on behalf of Jesus. The things that we love, we are personal evangelists for. My father-in-law and my mother-in-law and my own mom and uh, desperately desire for my boys to be San Francisco Giant fans. I've never fought with them about this. Why? Because I know that they live with me and that I am an evangelist for the Los Angeles Dodgers, all right? Not literally, I'm not trying to win anybody. To, but although a lot of you are doing a good job with these Nationals and Orioles, and it's kind of bothering me a little bit with my oldest son. But, but I just knew, and my son had bought, they bought him Giants gear and all these things, and what happens? Dayton gets to about three or four years old, people ask him, who's your team? I'm a Dodger fan. Why? Because what we're passionate about we are evangelists for. My brother-in-law was an evangelist for the iPhone. You all are, some of you are evangelists for, for political ideas and political thoughts and, and political people. We're all evangelists for something. Well, as a Christian, our first point of evangelism should be for Jesus Christ. And we should all see ourselves in that manner. So I desire to be an evangelist for Jesus. Next is a name on my heart in this moment is... Think about this in this way. Someone you already have a relationship with in some way. Someone in close proximity to you. Someone that you can be in regular contact with. A name on my heart in this moment is. I would say that probably for 99% of you, God already has put someone on your heart that you would like to, to witness to. You would like to see in, in the fellowship of God's family. I want to encourage you to write down that name so that I can pray for that name. Finally, I will invite this person to our evangelistic meetings in November. We're having a, a larger evangelistic meetings in November. And this is just to set a goal for you, all right? This is just to set a goal for you. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you are in, in, in a relationship with someone and being an evangelist to someone, I do not want you to say, well, I can't invite you to anything until the meetings come. Look, if they go to you, if you're having a conversation with someone tomorrow and they say, man, I'm really looking for a church, don't say, well, I'll wait to November and invite them, all right? Here's the answer. When they say that to you, why don't you come to my church next week with me? All right, that's, that's easy enough, right? If, if someone says, you know, I really like to study the Bible with someone, well, let's wait till November. No, say, okay, yeah, I'll study the Bible with you right now. Folks, 
This is just to set a goal out there. But when God convicts a heart and when God moves on a life, and if God opens a door for you, you respond to that immediately and begin to engage them. Folks, God needs personal evangelists. The greatest public evangelism is done, is, is most successful because of the personal evangelism that was done. I was in SoCal, California uh, in camp meeting just last week at the Central California uh, Camp meeting, SoCal, S-O-Q-U-E-L. It's right on the coast of Santa Cruz and, and Monterey. It's really a tough place to, to do camp meeting. Um, and uh, we were there for, for camp meeting, and I was in the, the green room area outside the auditorium and getting ready for the evening program. And I was having this animated conversation with this lady that was in there that was doing the makeup for people, getting them all, you know, gussied up for, for the Hope Channel. And, and so she was there, and we were having this conversation back and forth, and someone said, oh, you guys, you, you two know each other already? And I said, yes. And then I, I said, you know, with great pride over this girl, I said, I had the great privilege of baptizing Candy, and now look, she is serving the Lord here at camp meeting. You know, because doing makeup, hey, that's serving the Lord. God's going to use all our talents in all different ways. So God was using her in that moment. And I said with great pride, yes, I had the privilege of baptizing Candy. And now look at her. She's here at camp meeting serving the Lord. And I was so, so proud of her. But folks, I would have never had that privilege of baptizing Candy if it weren't for the personal evangelist in her life. You see, Candy had a boyfriend uh, at and this boyfriend's mom used to always talk about Jesus. Used to always talk about Jesus and the, and the things of God and, and, and encourage her in her relationship with Jesus. Well, Candy broke up with that boy and she went her separate ways. But you know, at one point she became convicted that she needed Jesus in her life. And guess who she called? Her ex-boyfriend's mom. The one who had been the personal evangelist in her life. And that ex-boyfriend's mom directed her to where, do you think? To the Visalia Church. So she shows up at our church right as we're about to have a series of meetings, actually. And when she gets to our church, she comes on, 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 a, on a Saturday, on a Sabbath, and she is so excited because she sees her dentist. And she is so excited to see her dentist because she just has such wonderful respect for this man. And you know why she has such wonderful respect for this man? Because she doesn't like going to the dentist. That doesn't make sense to you, does it? And he knows that she doesn't like going to the dentist. So you know what he does every time she's sitting in his chair? He asks her, can I pray for you? And she says that is always just so calming, so comforting that he would pray for me. And so she comes to our church because of her ex-boyfriend's mom, who when she says, I want to know more about Jesus, where should I go? She says, go to the Visalia Seventh-day Adventist Church. So she goes, and she shows up there, and she sees another personal evangelist in her life, her dentist, who sits by her chair and prays with her because she's scared to be there. Maybe the only time in her life she was thrilled to see her dentist. But folks, she went through some meetings, we baptized her, None of that would have been possible without the personal evangelists in her life. So I want to encourage you all, I want to encourage each one of us, myself included, to find one person to be a personal evangelist for and share the love of Jesus with them. Let us pray.
Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are the greatest example of evangelism, of personal evangelism. We've looked today at, at Andrew and Philip, but Jesus, you are the perfect model. You show us with the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery. You show us with Simon the leper. You show us with the, with the thief on the cross that you were the, the greatest at that one-on-one personal evangelism. Lord, I pray that, that you will put in each of our hearts a desire, put in each of our minds a name, and Lord, I pray that you will give us success as we go to speak confidently about the Jesus we know and love, as we speak confidently about the Jesus who has changed our lives. Lord, and give us success, not for our glory, but so that they can rest in the wonderful arms and love of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.